All right. Welcome to the Bridge Podcast. I am here with Angel Mark Lloyd, the brains behind a number of projects, including Fire Tools and uh, the audio whiz behind Angel Hair Audio. Uh, thanks so much for joining me, Angel. Yeah, thanks for having me. So uh, as I've mentioned to you, I always start these conversations asking about people's coffee habits and coffee preferences. Um, and I, I watched your interview with Charlie. And I could tell that you you care about coffee. <laughs> so uh, please, yeah. please tell us a little bit about your habits. Well, I don't know. It may be disappointing to you or some viewers, but I'm pretty much just doing decaf these days. Um, okay. I never really felt like I had an issue with caffeine, um, but just in attempts at just being, I don't know, healthier, I guess I, I was I'm just cutting out things that I don't feel like I need. And I, I just love the feeling of coffee, the idea of it, the the having the mug of the, the warm, tasty drink, like so much more than I need some kind of boost in my mm. energy. Um, so it's just really worth it. Uh, I am a bit of a snob though. Well, I don't know, maybe not a snob because I drink a lot of Starbucks. You can't really be a snob and drink Starbucks, but, um, <laughs> but I, I do, um, get counterculture coffee. Okay. Um, so it's, it's a bit pricier, um, but I can't stand like Folgers or anything like that. Um, even like mid tier stuff, I'm, I'm, really sick of so i mean this stuff isn't incredibly fancy but it's like for a little bag it's like you know 18 19 dollars still so and i i go through maybe one of those a week maybe a little less because i'll i'll drink like three or four cups a day usually um mm -hmm. so i spend a lot of time in the bathroom <laughs> um <laughs> But uh, I was raised on coffee, um, call it irresponsible if you want, but my parents were letting me drink it at, at 12, 11 years old because they were big coffee drinkers. Um, and um, I've just, I've always loved it. It's a huge comfort thing for me. Like I always want to have my coffee with me. Like, I think that's plenty responsible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. I, I need my coffee before I do something. I need it after I do something. I need it during doing something. So, um, yeah, and cool. and this is a this is a, an angel Mark Lloyd mug actually that you can buy from my Bandcamp. Um, it's uh, one of the two like large mugs I have, and I like large mugs, so that's why I'm using it. It, it wasn't meant to be an advertisement, but I guess it is now. <laughs> nice. And from here, it looks as if maybe that's a little bit milky, or is it just a little bit? I actually put heavy whipping cream in there now, just a little bit. Um, I started off as a cream and sugar person, but I cut the sugar out. I was doing black for a long time, um, but I I wanted to put just a I wanted to ease the bitterness just a tad. So now I just drip a little of that in there. I also put um, like mushroom supplement stuff in there at, for Ooh. the first cup every day. Um, uh, it's made by Rise R Y Z E. Um, it's kind of like the bottom tier of the mushroom supplements. There's fancier stuff out there, but I do that for the first cup. Um, I was going to try to switch to it solely and instead of using coffee altogether, um, because that's how they advertise. They want you to just use the powder and not coffee. It's like a coffee mm -hmm. replacement, but um, I don't like that. So I Is just it like a it. lion's mane or uh, it's got like... lion's mane in it, but it's a bunch of other stuff too. Yeah. Cool. Um, 
that's cool. I, I uh, I've been over to the like training facility. There's one uh, for counterculture, just like a few blocks down here. Oh. Um, I've been over there to do stuff, but I, I'm now I'm a post snob myself, so I'm indeed drinking kind of garbage coffee, but uh, I, I enjoy it that's for what okay. it is. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Now when I taste, when I taste like Maxwell House, like I feel it turns my stomach now and it didn't used to because that's what I was raised on. So I don't know what happened. <laughs> cool. Well, um, that's also the first time that I've heard decaf as an answer to this question and I'm not disappointed by it. Um, I'm maybe, maybe I should be on that train too, but I just... I like the I like the stim. <laughs> yeah, no, so. I understand. I mean, there's a tiny bit of caffeine in it anyway. And like if I go to some cafe or something or Starbucks, I'll usually get half decaf rather than full. Um, I'm not really sure why, but I, I feel like I can't even notice the caffeine. Uh, once in a while, I'll accidentally drink um, caffeinated coffee. I'll, I'll like order one and forget to say decaf or half decaf. And I don't notice any difference. So I, I almost feel like my body is just like not sensitive to it or something it just produces its own endogenous caffeine or something i guess so like maybe maybe i'll notice that i'm not getting sleepy at night as early if i have caffeine but there's no like jitters there's no energy boost i don't i'm i'm generally a low energy person just by default so i don't know caffeine doesn't really um make me sore gotcha yeah cool well um now that I know your coffee habits, um, I'm wondering where we should dive into first. And uh, you know, seeing your mug, um, like you've definitely got your like your whole thing on lock. Your sort of like business mindset of uh, your branding, or I don't know if you want to call it branding. That kind of makes it sound like corporate or something. But uh, like you have like a, a very defined sense of self that is manifest in your like products and stuff. So I'm curious. How that came about um if that's just always been something that's natural to you or um yeah well um most of the product oriented stuff is is taken care of by third parties like labels i work with um the mug i just had somebody approach me who used to run a label and he decided to start selling uh souvenirs um so artists he likes, he'll produce a mug, a bag, buttons, stickers, things like that. And he approached me and wanted to know if I wanted to do coffee mugs. And I was like, I'm passionate about coffee. Let's do a mug. So I got to Photoshopping and, and, and made this. Um, at first, I was a little embarrassed about it because it's got my face on it. And I, I'm really not much of a of a like branding type person actually. So all of the t-shirts and everything that exists, um, I, I, have, I have weed grinders, they're backpacks, bucket hats. Uh, we're looking into shoes actually, but this is all just like funny ideas from uh, House You Mountain, the label that I usually work with for Fire Tools material. They, they like to get a little silly with merch and um, it was kind of their idea and I roll with it and it's cool, but um, as far as the aesthetic, it's really just um, kind of always been like my personality, the just kind of rainbow puke type thing. That's mm -hmm. just what I love. So if I'm going to do merch and branding, it's it's going to be along those lines. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, you know, when you talk to Charlie, a lot of what you talked about seemed to be like the colorfulness. Um, and I like how he sort of like treated that as like a proper noun almost of the colorful. Um, and I'm curious if you draw any... Uh, parallel between that and like your harmonic sense just to get into music uh 
Well, you know, maybe yes and no. Um, I, I think that my harmonic sense, like pre 2013 or 14 was, um, or 15, honestly, if I'm thinking about the first work I did as fire tools, um, the, the more colorful, like harmonic sense, um, all the key changes, all the dense chords, all of the obsession with like jazz fusion and, and like non-linear kind of chords, I, I guess, whatever, however you want to describe it, that all sort of came um, a little bit later because like the music I would make earlier in my life, um, pre-early 2010s, was like a lot more um, narrow, I think. Um, I, I mean, I've played in a lot of bands. I've played guitar in a lot of bands, um, drums too, but like as far as like melodic instrumentation, um, if you listen to any of those bands, you won't hear a lot of that. Like there's a lot of dissonance. I've always been a huge fan of dissonance. A lot of, lot of sevenths, a lot of ninths, a lot of suspended kind of things. But like, mm -hmm. I would stick to the same key for a whole song, like in all my old bands. I never even thought to like branch out. But then when I started really uh, digging into like fusion and maybe more challenging music uh, in a melodic and harmonic sense um, later in life, um, I, I started to go like really hard in the like weird chords, weird progressions type type zone so i don't know if it really has much to do with the aesthetic i mean i was playing in punk and metal bands and still looking like a clown so <laughs> you know gotcha yeah um it i'm also curious if there's any sort of like, like i feel like i'm a very academic person about how i think about things like harmony or composition or whatever um but i get the sense that it's a little bit more homegrown with what you're doing is that I would say Correct. dominantly. I mean, I, I I love like the academic side of music. I mean, I love music theory. It's it's um so interesting. Um, and uh, I'm I'm friends with like you know academic or like maybe post academic like musicians and and follow them on YouTube and stuff like that and really enjoy that stuff. But um, for me, I'm I, I'm rarely thinking about theory when I make music. I, I guess I am when it comes to like maybe like thinking of interesting chords, but the way they modulate, no, not really thinking about theory. Um, it's really just like the way everything feels. And a lot of times I'll come up with like progressions that like just sound like really weird and, and sound like unintuitive and like kind of wrong. But then as I work on the music and I hear it over and over again, like the repetition, like, you know, kind of changes the way I feel about it. Um, and it's, it's not jarring anymore. So, mm. yeah. Gotcha. Um, the, I mean, one of the questions that I jot down here um, was about sort of like any comparisons between like house music and uh, black metal, because I feel like they both have this very parallel sort of harmony that um, I've heard you do a lot of. And uh, I'm sure nobody else is talking about how black metal and house music are similar. But uh, I mean, is that something you think about at all, like parallelness? Um, well, if we're talking about house music and black metal, we have to give a shout out to Soft Pick Truth um, because Ooh, I'm unfamiliar. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, <laughs> you gotta just you just gotta look into that. I'm like sort of internet friends with that guy. Um, 
but um yeah he he did an album of black metal covers like um but like as like a minimalist kind of techno type approach like classic black metal songs like that song black metal by crap who was it was it venom or bathory or some i i don't know see i'm not good with black metal I, it seems like i'm like way into black metal because of my music mm-hmm. i really love it um but it's not like a huge like interest of mine um um i i don't know i'm kind of more i think i'm more into like death metal honestly than black metal but um but my, my vocal style is more akin to black metal because of the high-pitched shrieking i've always loved the high-pitched vocals but as far as like genre like <clears throat> combinations it's not really a thing where like, oh, I think this would go really good with this. Um, like these like these two things are made for each other. It's more just like, I like so many different kinds of music. So by default, I'm, I'm going to just do them all. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't see anything weird about, you know, like distorted reverby black metal shrieking over like, you know, like a new age composition. I, I don't see anything weird about like a electro industrial glitched out beat with like a jazz fusiony guitar solo over it. Like mm-hmm. that's all stuff that I just, I feel like I've always wanted to do, but never did it because um, I was playing in bands. And then when I started making music my own uh, on my own on a computer, it's like, I can do whatever the hell I want. And I, I love um, nine inch nails just as much as I like um Pat Metheny just as much as I like Morbid Angel uh, just as much as I like Yanni so why the hell wouldn't I like why pick one you know mm-hmm. like totally yeah and it, it's not it's not random it's not supposed to be silly or in jest it's 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 really just the most honest thing I can do mm-hmm. so. um first of all I, I mean as somebody who loves Pat Metheny, I'm curious. Um, are you more into like the Pat Metheny group, or um, just like, you know, trio stuff, or what? What's um, your? It's really go-to? anything he touches that's either, <laughs> uh, that's either like weird and experimental, or just very like sort of jazz fusion. Like I, I like I like more traditional jazz and all. Um, I, I mean, I have to love it. Um, I'm not really big into like big band or swing, but like. You know, I, I love that stuff, but really like like what really gets me going, what really tugs at my heartstrings is like fusion. And, you know, most people think about the 70s when they think about like really good fusion. And I do like the 70s stuff, but like I am an 80s person, like hardcore. So like bring in the digital synthesizers. Like that's the kind of fusion I like. And he did a good handful of that that stuff around then in the early 90s. But I don't know. I mean, he's 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 a a brilliant uh, composer and player. So you know, really anything he does, I I like. But the '80s is where it's at for me. I'm waiting to see the like the striped shirt sort of infiltrate your visual aesthetic. You know, it might, <laughs> it might someday. Um, do you like Alan Holdsworth much? Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm obsessed with him. Yeah, yeah. His his work is incredible. Um, it. I'm really influenced by him, but it might not sound like it because I just can't, I can't touch <laughs> what he does. So it might be hard to hear, but there, there, I think there are a few songs of mine where it sounds like I'm like blindly jumping into this thing where I'm like trying to copy him. Like in my, um, my project, Non-Local Forecast, which is, 
you know, different from fire tools. There are some songs where I'm, I'm, I'm really just trying to like go for that, but I could never do that with my guitar playing. Like his, his legato, like melodic guitar playing is, is um, totally out of my league. What I, what I really would like to do is just like rip off his, his chords. <laughs> like, um, it's funny thinking about um, like I, I studied with Carl Verheyen for a little bit from Super Tramp, and uh, he he was really close with Alan. And I heard how much Alan loved dogs, and it's it strikes me as similar to how much you seem to be uh, invested in cats. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I actually did not know that about Alan. That's that's great. I mean, I love dogs. Like, how can I not love dogs? But um, yeah, cats are cats are my passion. If music wasn't in my life, I'd be, I don't know, maybe I'd, I'd have my own like cat rescue or I'd be a vet or something. Although I'm way too squeamish and sensitive for that. I probably wouldn't be able to deal with it, but I'd find some way to like hone in on, on the cat world mm -hmm. beyond just having a few. I think he was obsessed with dogs and beer. Um, beer was the other thing that he was very fond of. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it's that. I guess that sounds like him. I've I've heard stories of people sitting next to him at bars and chatting and stuff. Yeah, I've been really into wine lately, but um, as a like one glass with dinner type vibe. <laughs> mm -hmm, for sure. Yeah. Um, well, to talk a little bit about uh, just audio and stuff, you know, um, like you are quite prolific as somebody that does mixing and mastering and um, in my mind, that type of stuff has always been sort of glorified and like the way that people talk about it is like, I don't believe the way that people talk about it. Like they try to act like it's this super like, <laughs> oh yeah, you sit there and like, you know, you have to be one with the music and like, blah, blah. and in my mind, it should be as standardized as possible. And when I saw a quote about how you just were doing things so effectively in one pass, it seems like expertise trumps sort of like the creative uh, vibe there. I'm, uh, I don't need you to reveal any secret sauce or anything to me, but um, I'm curious, like, if you have a philosophy of what works sonically. Um, hmm, I'm not worried about giving away any secrets. I don't know if I really have any. It's just all stuff I've learned over time. Um, I don't know. I just listen to something and and sort of figure out what it needs and and some of that is like a technical thing um other stuff is more intuitive some of it is um just totally creative like there's no right and wrong answer it just depends on what you're what you're going for uh i try a lot of things and some of them fail some of them work um sometimes clients like what i do um well, most of the time they do and then sometimes it like doesn't work um i'll, I'll have some bold idea and i'll just be like can you take all that chorus off my vocals? That sounds kind of dorky. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's all, it's all those different things, really. It's, it, it's, it's everything. It's, it's, um, there are some things that are like almost kind of black and white, um, at least as far as like publishing standards. Like, you know, if you want me to master a record um, that's supposed to go on, on a vinyl LP, but you're, doing all this weird stuff with with 30 hertz and and all of this out of phase stereo bass or something like that like it's pretty much black and white like that's not gonna work like you can't put that on a record it's the 
you know, it's just it's technically like won't work. But like um, in other areas, it's like it's purely emotional, intuitive. Um, in in some areas, there's no right or wrong way to do certain things. Um, I don't know. It's it, it's all over the place. It's everything. It just depends on what's needed, what the what the client wants, what sounds good, kind of thing. Um, I think the whole like becoming one with the music and spending an entire week on mastering a single song. I think there's like I like understand that there's value in it. And I certainly have no interest in um, like being lazy or like skipping over anything or skimping on anything. But at the same time, it's entirely possible to master an entire album really, really well, like in a couple hours, like mm -hmm. it, it really is possible. And some people will hear that and just be like, you know, like that's, that's disgusting. Like that's not what so-and-so does in his huge studio. You know, he <laughs> spends, he spends the first week just listening to it. And then the second week, like taking notes and then the third, blah, blah, blah. And that's, that's great. But I don't think that's necessary, at least not most of the time. I mean, why else would I have like, like three, four or 500, I don't know, happy clients. If, mm -hmm. if that's what was required. Um, so, yeah. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I guess like it, when you say that you could master an album, like, you know, within you know, an afternoon or however long, um, I assume that like, uh, like, you know, a while ago, like I was reading about like a lander and like these automated services, mm -hmm. um, I just do it algorithmically. So I, I'm assuming that you aren't necessarily like, mastering something in less time than it takes to listen to it ever like or how how good of a job do you think somebody could do whether it's you or somebody else uh just like sort of doing it entirely on autopilot well i think it's a bad idea to do things on autopilot i do think that there are some recordings that you could have more autopilotness happening than others depending on what it is like i mean in the end like you need to like have quality control right so you can't just like not listen to the whole thing mm -hmm. but you could do that you could try it and 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 probably like it's definitely possible to come out um having finished a master that way and it and it be perfect but there'd be a little chance involved there and and really it's about like as the better of a recording it is the easier it is to master and sometimes the quicker it goes like when I have a really well recorded album where the drums are punchy everything sits in the mix well um all that kind of stuff it's it's like pretty easy to do a really good master but when I'm mastering stuff that's not recorded so well and it got kind of a demo sound to it and things are a little wonky like I have have to be a lot more careful mm -hmm. um people will tell you like mastering is not for fixing a mix it's not for changing the the tonal curve of the music um very much it's not for fixing problems but like i don't know i do a lot of work for like diy artists who aren't like trained mixing engineers and stuff like that and um sometimes there is like a, a fair amount of like I don't want to use the word fixing, but I guess like for lack of a better term, 
it's more like skirting around things because you can't you can't fix just the guitar tone in a master like that's impossible but mm -hmm. i can do little things to, to to compensate for it if if they're needed things like that um so yeah it depends on the on on the quality and what i'm being presented um if it's like a, an awesome awesome mix then i could technically if i wanted to do some kind of autopilot thing and it would come out badass mm -hmm. but you know, I got to be more careful than that because For God sure. forbid someone get a master and they skim over it and it's great. But then there's this one part they didn't listen to where the, the compressor is doing something really weird because there's a part where it's just vocals or just a guitar in the left channel and it gets all like, you know, it's like way too loud or it sounds weird or something. So you do have to be careful. The, the Lander stuff and, and the AI mastering like, I think it has its value. I don't really feel threatened by it. Um, but um, it, it's, you really need the human brain and the human intuition to, to do uh, the music justice, I think. So like, I, I wanna be cool and be like, oh, I think AI mastering is great. Um, it, it is in a lot of ways, but it's just, it's not the same. It's not gonna be the same. Like plus you can't really do any automation with it like mm. in mastering like sometimes automation is needed um and like you, you just can't do that you can't be like well the 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 intro like sound bite before the song kicks in like you can't like put a filter on it or something like that if you wanted to um so i really think there needs to be a human unless you're like in a hurry or you're really broke or you just need to put something on soundcloud or whatever Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, uh, I guess, uh, you know, to sort of get into AI type stuff and, uh, you know, I, I jot down transhumanism in this little mind map. Uh, I, I'm curious if you have anything thinking on like, uh, how AI will affect music creation in the time to come. Cause I'm not sure if you've seen like this new, uh, like art engine Dolly or maybe it's Dolly. Um, and you can just like give it a text-based prompt and it, will generate mm -hmm. something that's pretty convincing. Um, yeah. And I don't think either of us are threatened by that. And I think a lot of people are threatened by it, which is mm -hmm. weird to have that be like the first reaction. But um, I mean, like, are you excited by it? Or uh, do you have any other interesting comments on it? Well, I'm really fascinated by it. I think mm -hmm. it's awesome. Like, I would love to mess with that and type in a text prompt and generate something and find pieces of it that sound really cool and incorporate it into my music. Um, I, I've messed a lot with like uh, AI, like visual art engines and stuff. Um, I was doing that a lot for a while. Uh, it's really fun. It's really fascinating. Um, as far as like AI generated music, I don't feel threatened by it because it simply is not the same as mm -hmm. something that you would make. And I don't even think it's like, it's not objectively like better or worse sounding or anything. I think it's important that if you are if you are gonna to create a whole album like based on a text prompt, then at least be upfront about that and like <laughs> yeah. you know have that like be in the liner notes and and mention it in interviews or whatever when people are like, how did you come up with that guitar part? Like you gotta be like, well, I didn't. <laughs> um, I think that's important just for transparency and honesty. But like, I mean, I would I would create and release an AI generated album if I had the time and the, the chance or whatever. I mean, that would be cool. I would just 
want to make sure it was known that that was the nature of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess when people feel threatened, it's because they work very, very hard on their music and, um, they don't like the idea of somebody being able to type a sentence into something and then produce an album like that quickly and that easily. Like they feel like it's kind of like that mentality where it's just like, you know, when I was your age, I had to walk 15 miles barefoot in the snow to get to school and you can just sit home on your computer and have everything fed to you. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that. But honestly, if you, you could sit at home on your computer and get a quality education, like, why wouldn't you choose that? Like, yeah, I was okay. talking to a friend today who, um, you know, paid me to mix and master an album. And um, her mom's name was on the PayPal account. And she felt kind of self-conscious about that. And she wanted to tell me, like, I can't get my mom's name off my PayPal account, like, I have this weird thing where I want people to know that I like work hard for my money and it's not just being given to me. And I was like, I mean, if my parents were rich and they just paid for everything, that would be badass. I would have so much more time to like make music and just hang out in my living room with my cats and and watch YouTube and go to parks and go on vacation. Like, that would be awesome. I would much rather do that than do all this work. So it's like, I don't think there's really anything bad about that. Of course, there there are a lot of things you do miss out on, probably a lot of, um, um, I don't know, a lot of discipline maybe that you're not getting um, in certain areas and that can be detrimental, but um, I don't know. I, I, I look forward to messing more with, with AI music and it's not because I'm lazy, it's because it's fascinating and, yeah. and interesting and it can enhance creativity. I mean, I think it would be awesome to like make a song and then have the bridge be entirely like AI and then go back into my, you know, original production and and have that like be a part of what I'm creating and presenting. That sounds cool. I think that there are a lot of problems with AI when it gets in the wrong hands. It, it, It already has, it's already a problem. And there's also a lot of benefits. So like on the transhumanism um, um, subject, uh, I I just, I think it's good and bad. Mm-hmm. Um, it just depends on how you use it, what your intentions are. Um, when it gets into the wrong hands, it gets into corporate interests. It gets into like military interests. Like it's, mm-hmm. yeah. it's all downhill from there. It's, it's horrible. Like, you know, nuclear technology was developed by somebody who was trying to do something good and it fell into the wrong hands and you you know regretted it and he was like no don't do that with it that's not that's not (laughs) what i wanted yeah um so yeah it's 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 up to people really i think it's a neutral tool it can be very useful just depends on what you do with it do you feel like um when you say getting into the wrong hands uh, are you particularly fearful of that type of thing or do you just kind of feel like ah it's going to be degrading the quality of what this could be because like you know a lot of people are like you know putting out stories of like uh paperclip maximizer type scenarios of like you know gray goo where everything is going to be turned into paperclips because the wrong utility function or whatever um uh, it doesn't seem like you're necessarily scared of that but i mean i like to think of like aesthetic pollution um is that the concern more for you I think that there is legitimate concern in, in, in all that. I think it's okay to be concerned about that. I mean, I'm, I'm a very, like, just not black and white person when it comes to that stuff. Like, I think that there are some reasons to 
to be fearful or concerned or just really careful. And then, I don't know, I think there's legitimacy to that. I mean, there, I think there are some things that kind of freak me out about it. Uh, I don't think there's any reason to have any like pride and not being afraid. I mean, that seems to be kind of like avoidant. Like I would never want to turn my eyes away from like a, like a, a possibility or something that might be on the horizon. Um, <clears throat> but at the same time, I don't think there's any use in um, like being so afraid that it like takes over you and makes you like anti progress um, mm -hmm. um you know i'm not much of a traditionalist in in a lot of ways maybe in some but not not in all i i think it's just it's very complex there's a lot of layers to it there's a lot of good a lot of bad a lot of neutral a lot of stuff in between um yeah i think there there's some reason to fret but um no reason to let it consume you that's fair um, somebody I interviewed, uh, a composer that I interviewed like a few months ago, he was saying that, um, he basically breaks like the, like what he does as a composer into being a formalist, a traditionalist and a transcendentalist. And he tries to do a good job of all of them. And I feel yeah. like I'm so much more of a formalist than either of the other two. Um, can you, like, would you say that you have a sort of like uh i guess like percentage that comes to mind for which of those uh or, you know i'm asking <laughs> yeah so i think i think that there are percentages but i think they're always fluctuating and it always depends on like what i'm doing like because it's there's a lot of intuitiveness to it um they they're kind of always moving um it depends on what it is it depends on the album the song it depends on the situation it depends on the endeavor. I mean, I, I strive to be balanced in those areas. Um, I can see a lot of all three of those in my lifestyle and in my work. Um, I, I think a, a healthy balance, um, and that doesn't mean they're all even. Mm -hmm. um, I just, uh, whatever balance is needed for the given situation or endeavor um it's hard to give you a straight answer there it's hard to give you a pie chart because it's <laughs> the portions are just always like moving around i For think sure. yeah gotcha um i mean i definitely feel like i can see the transcendentalist sort of uh side maybe being dominant it's uh, either dominant or it's just like the loudest probably <laughs> it's it's easier to notice that but I think there's a lot of formalism in what I do, but maybe it's just more under the surface and it's kind of there to like keep things uh, maybe on an even keel, but maybe there's some fear there. Maybe there actually is some fear to let go of some of that. Um, I just like need some stability, I guess. Yeah. And I think some formalism helps with that. You know, I got to make a living. I got to eat. I mm -hmm. don't want to... I don't want anybody to kill me. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's again, it's just like a balance, whatever balance is needed for, for me to remain stable, um, remain compassionate, uh, stay creative and productive and, um, mm -hmm. healthy and all that, I guess. Gotcha. Um, so, uh, like, 
I guess like I was surprised talking to some metal people to realize that their vocals just straight up don't have lyrics. And so like when I listened to Fire Tools, I I didn't necessarily even think about the lyrical content because um, yeah, nobody does. <laughs> well, I mean, like I, I'm surprised that people do that where they don't have lyrics and they just make grunting sounds. But um, you know, it sounds like you actually do care a lot about your lyrics and that there's like a lot going on there. So um, I mean, like. I'd just be curious to hear about that and how you come to those lyrics and like how you come to your song titles and that type mm -hmm. of thing. Yeah. Well, quickly, a comment about the the no lyrics thing and the grunting sounds. I mean, I think that's pretty <laughs> badass. I think it's bold. I think it's kind of funny, but I can I am also perfectly able to take that seriously. I mean, mm -hmm. There are no words in a, in a clarinet part. So why do there have right. to be with a voice? And if you really like the sound of that kind of metal, but you don't necessarily have a message you want to put out there, if it's really just solely about the music and the textures and it and the moods and everything, then like go for that. Like I know somebody who does like <clears throat> a, um, you could call it a vaporwave project where they, they make, they make these electronic songs that are very influenced by, uh, like sort of 80s Chinese pop um, and they usually don't have lyrics they just have like vocal sounds like syllables that they write mm. and then they record that and then they slow it down like cake it with reverb and make it really dreamy sounding and it sounds kind of like it's in this foreign language that you can't quite make out um, but it's 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 just gibberish and I don't know like he takes his project really seriously and it's really beautiful and it's really good. He just doesn't really have anything he's trying to say. And I, I think that's awesome. It's different. I could never do that. Like I always want to seize the opportunity to have lyrics, but um, I don't know. I think that's pretty cool. Um, mm -hmm. uh, as far as my lyrics though, and the song titles and everything, I, I consider the, the words and the message to be, now if we're talking about pie charts that don't change, like, that that's one third of it. And then I think the art that represents the music and stuff is a third of it. And then the music itself is a third of it, as far as like what I care about. Gotcha. Um, so, and I think it's very normal and natural for people to hear the music, notice the art and have feelings about it, but like hear the music and that be the focus. And then lyrics are either secondary or just like not, they don't really care. Um, and a lot of like pop music and a lot of other kinds of music. I don't mean to only rag on pop, but um, lyrics are just kind of, they, they, they almost seem arbitrary. And, if, mm -hmm. and, and a lot of times they're like relatable, but they're so relatable in such a general sense that it's almost like there's not really anything there. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I, I, I'm just a really like sort of sensitive, complicated, emotional person I get I want to say deep but I don't I'm not trying to make myself sound like I don't know like that word has a connotation to it it sounds really pretentious or whatever but in a sense I guess I am um if if I'll be allowed to, to say that and um so I write about personal experiences things I go through but I'm also like really into philosophy and spirituality and and I use those things as like a lens to like interpret my own experiences through so there's a lot of 
that kind of stuff that comes through in the in the lyrics when I like I might be writing about um something that happened to me that was really traumatic but then there's there's probably going to be all kinds of references to like different spiritual modalities because that's what I'm using to describe the experience or whatever Mm -hmm. um I really like writing I don't consider myself like a great writer at all but it's it's more about like what I'm saying than how I'm saying it that's important to me and I also don't expect anybody to really pick up on the meanings because I think a lot of that is really convoluted I might have a song about something that are that there's only three sentences and and I'm just touching on like three like random details of like a bigger picture mm. but to me that song is still about this big picture um so yeah it's it's not that I expect people to like read them and and know what it's about it's not like the message um I don't feel that the message is important for people to understand as much as I, I think I wish that people would just kind of like care about it more. Like they hear a song, they see the title, um, they hear all the screaming and yelling. And, and for me, like, I want to know like, well, what's going on there? Like, why, like, what are those words? Like what, you know, what could this be about? Or like, how do these words make me feel? Mm-hmm. That's, that's important to me. Um, and you know, having the lyrics be out there and the song titles be out there and the album titles be out there is really therapeutic for me. It's like a purging, even though people might not know what it means. It's, it still like feels really good and really important that it's, that it's put out there just as much as it does to put the music out there. So gotcha. um, I have a lot of fun with the words and the titles, like picking song titles is one of the funnest things about releasing an album for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy the words part. Um, so, I mean, it sounds like you want the like the emotional content in some way to be picked up on. But um, at the same time, like, you know, I, I, I imagine not wanting people to like have a super high resolution image of what it's all about. Like, are you trying to like sort of encrypt it to some degree? Because like, I mean, otherwise, you know, like I feel like it, maybe it wouldn't be screamed, <laughs> but uh, like. How, how much of it do you want to sort of like uh, obscure or how, how much do you want to obscure it? Well, I think I obscure it like by default because I'm just really into like screwing things up. <laughs> like, you know, if I'm playing guitar, like I'm going to throw like 800 effects on it. <laughs> so in the same vein, if I'm trying to say something, I'm going to want to use metaphor and, and, um, just say things in kind of a weird way because that's just kind of how I like to present my work. There are some things that I do purposefully obscure because I'm either like embarrassed or it's like too vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Um, In other areas, like I wish I could include a paragraph on what the song's about, like in the liner notes or, or something. And sometimes, sometimes they do that. Sometimes like like I just started a discord server and a few people have asked about the meanings of certain songs and I'll like go really hardcore into like what it's about. But then like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really into spirituality and, and sometimes I get kind of freaked out about making that too obvious because of people's association with religion, especially Christianity um, so like if I'm ever referencing any kind of Christian theology and I reference theology from many different traditions, but when it gets into the, the Christian part, I'm just kind of like really scared. Like 
I don't want to say anything too obvious because even I like feel triggered by that language because mm -hmm. I am very disgusted um, by the, you know, the church and, and how things are interpreted and, and how the Bible's weaponized and how the Bible's misunderstood and how mm -hmm. all of that stuff is like so twisted and has gotten so out of hand and everything. So I'm just like, I will, I will obscure it a lot so that people have no idea that I might be referencing like a parable that Jesus talked about or something, because I don't want people to be like, oh, angel is actually a Jesus free angels, a Christian, Ugh, stay away from that. Um, but because we're here in the West and things like Buddhism and Hinduism is like super hip, you know, I don't have any problem just like quoting a monk, like with a soundbite, like straight up in the middle of a song. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Gotcha. Um, so, I mean, for me, like, I'm not averse to spirituality per se, but I am like, I've been like a hyper atheist since I was a kid. And um, mm -hmm. I don't think that they have to be mutually exclusive or anything like that. But um, I mean, like, uh, I'm, I'm interested in sort of like, you know, chaos, magic and that type of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Where, like, what, uh, what realms of this are you interested in or influenced by? Well, the, the more esoteric stuff, you know, magic, alchemy, all of that kind of stuff. I'm, um, I, I love that stuff. I, I, I don't have a very big education in it. That's not as important to me, at least at this point in my life, because a lot of my interest in spirituality has been, um, it, it came from an interest in psychology because mm -hmm. I had an interest in healing myself because I just deal with so much psychological anguish and, and mm -hmm. pain to be brutally honest, um, I, I got into, I got out of what I wouldn't even call spirituality at a young age, because I was like, you know, I went to, a, to church as a kid and that it was just horrible. I went hardcore atheist for a long time um, as a reaction to all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. But then when I started getting a little older and I'm realizing there are things that are not right about my emotional and mental life, there's a lot of struggle, a lot of suffering, a lot of acting out, like something's up. Um, so, you know, I got like really into therapy and like self-help. And so much of that is actually rooted in um, a lot of Eastern philosophy, um, like dialectical behavior therapy and mindfulness is all just like, you know, recycled like Buddhist and, and Zen philosophy. So, um, and, and yoga, you know, comes from the, you know, Hindu tradition um, mostly. And so in, in self-help and therapy, I got brought into that stuff. And then it went from there. I like rediscovered like sort of like devotional type spirituality that you find in like Sufism and Christianity. Um, like from that, like I, I needed some sort of background in Buddhism before I could even see um, Christianity in any kind of like positive light. Um, it, it took it, it took a lot of psychology and Eastern um, spirituality to to prep me for being able to accept or um, even approach anything in like the Christian realm, anything that had to do with you know quote unquote God um, mm -hmm. and, and what that word even means, you know. So. Um, so yeah, as far as like, you know, alchemy and 
magic and stuff like that. Um, I mean, all of that stuff has its place in all of these traditions I just mentioned and, and always has. You don't hear about it as much. But, you know, I, I listen to religious scholars like talk about it. Like there's this one channel on YouTube called Esoterica, which you might like. Um, there's a lot of, you know, theology in there and stuff. But like he focuses on like the weird shit. Um, um, and I, I mean, I love that stuff. I've never really like participated in any of it. Um, there's this other guy who you might know of named Damien Eccles. Um, so he's like a big magic person. Um, he was and, in the uh, West I, Memphis Three, right? Yeah, like he was in jail yeah, for a while. Yes, exactly. Um, and I, I loved those documentaries as a kid, and I've been sort of like on and off following Damien since he was in prison. And when he got out, and I, I found out that he had had all these huge like spiritual transformations, and it was like super, super into into magic. I just I thought that was awesome. I love his work. I, I edit for a podcast that's interviewed him before. Um, so yeah, very fond of all that stuff. Don't know much about it. Wouldn't mind getting into it at some point in the future. But right now, for me, it's more about prayer and meditation, applying, you know, philosophy and lessons to like help myself with my own suffering. Um, and I know that that magic and stuff can also um be very much a tool for that stuff too but it's just like i don't know i just haven't gotten way into it at least not yet maybe i will interesting um is this podcast like a duncan trussell <laughs> no um <laughs> or can you not say no no i can say it's not quite that vibe although they would definitely interview somebody like him um for sure but no it's more of a it's like a sort of universalist interfaith spiritual podcast called buddha at the gas pump they interview mm -hmm. like authors and teachers and and figures from like all traditions um as long as they're like very like ethical um you mm -hmm. know they're not just interviewing like um like evangelists like priests or anything like that like it's it's not like that it's more I don't know if you know what perennialism is, but most of the people they interview, and it's been over 600 now, um, oh. would probably say that they buy into perennialism, which is basically like the synthesis of like all major spiritual traditions and, and how they um, like the parallels in them, like the big picture ideas that you can find explained in different ways and all sorts of uh, different traditions. Um, most of the people they interview would never say that their tradition is the right one. It just happens to be the one that they're most interested in. So it's like a very safe spiritual podcast where you're not going to find anybody on there that was like, Jesus said it's wrong to be gay or, or, or anything like that, or, you know, worship Krishna. Like there's all others are false gods. Like there's none of that. So mm -hmm. I stay away from all that. That's why I have trouble talking openly about religion because like i don't ever want anybody to think that that that's anywhere close to like what i'm like or, or how i think yeah i mean just based on seeing your room i don't think that anybody's <laughs> thinking that no um, so uh to just i guess like uh wrap things up i'm curious uh to talk a little bit about being prolific um because i know that you're like sort of nearby chicago and like I'm super obsessed with Chicago footwork and like mm -hmm. that whole scene is so prolific. And like, you know, I know that you're prolific in a number of ways and um, 
I, I mean, like for me, there have been times when I've concerned, I've been concerned that like uh, putting too much stuff out there is going to like negatively impact how it's perceived. Just like, uh, I mean, like I don't want to be somebody who's like, I'm going to make my stuff scarce because then I think it'll, you know, get more purchases or something like that. But um, mm -hmm. how do you think about that? Like just being prolific or, you know, um, you know, uh, having like a very extensive catalog because um, I think you kind of oftentimes, like not you, but one needs to have a lot of quantity to get quality. And I'm I'm just curious to see if where your mind goes with that. Mm, well, as far as that last comment, I think that when I was focusing mainly on like improv noise and releasing a lot of tapes, um, there was a high quantity and quality was was just kind of sporadic and i think that's fine and that's fun um i probably would release more material than i do now if it wasn't for working for labels that don't want to invest in a new album every three months because it's just not sustainable mm -hmm. business-wise and also there really is something to be said about like releasing so much stuff that people just like can't follow it um I do think there are cons to being extremely prolific. Um, there's also pros, like for me personally, like it, like I said before, it's like a huge release and like therapeutic to release material. Um, it's, it's expressing something that's like stirring in me. And I think that's why I, I put out self-released EPs and singles like between big albums. Cause I like, I really hate the idea of there being a year between each LP. It's like so stifling. Um, and that's also why I have different projects because like I can release a fire tools LP or double LP and then like, you know, release a 60 minute, like, you know, noise and synthesizer like EP or whatever, like three months later. And it doesn't necessarily like screw up the fire tools momentum. Um, it kind of caters to a different audience anyway. There's overlap, but it's still different. Um, so I try to find a balance now between like oversaturation and being so prolific, it's confusing for people and um, not feeling stifled, um, like like mentally and emotionally stifled. Like, like I can't not release music on a semi-regular basis. It's just like, it feels bad. Hmm. Um, so if your goal ultimately is like marketability and like playing the music industry right, then then you have to go easy. I take that stuff into consideration, but I also can't go by that strictly because it just feels bad. So I, I'm sort of like making a sacrifice in a way, like I could be more disciplined about it and I might be more like, you know, quote unquote successful, depending on how you want to define that word. But I, I choose to find a balance between that and like feeling okay. So for sure. And yeah. when you say release, um, I, I suppose that exporting doesn't do the same thing as, you know, officially releasing something or like, yeah, no, it it's, it's the official release. It's release day. That feels like the purging. Um, seeing that thing go up on Bandcamp, like seeing, like just knowing records are available for purchase mm -hmm. for some reason, like symbolizes something really big for me. Um, 
it, it's so exciting. It's like I like on release day, I'll listen to my album again, start to finish and like immerse myself in it and just be like, ah, this is what is out there representing my my mind now and my heart. And this is the the public face of what's going on inside me and what has been going on inside me. And it it just feels really good. It's like it's not really for attention. It's more like being true to myself. Like the reason I dress the way I do. I don't, I, I actually don't want anybody to look at me. Like, don't bother me. Don't look at me leave me alone. But at the same time, like I can't, I, do, I can't hide because it just like feels bad to not be myself. So it, it's like putting on clothes in the morning and, and taking a walk throughout my neighborhood is like, you know, it's, it's similar to releasing an album. Um, I just, I just need to express like, whatever it is um and yeah exporting a song uh, i mean i don't know that's that doesn't do much that makes it so i can listen to it in my car to make sure the mix is good mm -hmm. um but it doesn't it doesn't like feel particularly um therapeutic or anything like that do you feel like um there's like i mean i guess this is constantly shifting with uh the culture and the time and stuff but uh I mean, like, I noticed that a lot of your songs are on the shorter side, and um, I'm curious if there's, like, an ideal duration in your mind, um, whether it's an absolute measure of time or, like, sort of, like, a, a some sort of relative measure for, you know, individual tracks versus also, um, you know, like, the whole album. Um, yeah. Well, I understand why you perceive, like, a lot of my <laughs> songs as on the shorter side. I don't think that's necessarily always the case. Um, I don't know, maybe it is, and I'm just like not noticing correctly. I really love super long songs. I love super short songs. I don't necessarily intend to have them any particular length. Like there's a song that's almost 10 minutes long on one of my albums. Um, there's a couple songs like that. In fact, on one of my albums, I think there's one that's almost 11. I kind of just end them when, when I want to, when it feels good. Um, but also I need to keep in mind like the formats, like if things are coming out on a physical format, I have to like be within those boundaries. Um, you know, you, it's really not good to go over like 22 to 24 minutes on um, this one side of a vinyl record. So like when I know there's going to be records coming out, um, I have to like fit within that. I really pushed it for my new one that I just finished um, 24 minutes per side. I had to get special permission from the manufacturer because they try to emphasize 22 and I just like wanted as much material out there as possible. Mm -hmm. um, but really it's just whatever feels good. I mean, I grew up on like Prague, so I love like 45 minute songs. I love that shit, but I also grew up on noise grind as well. So I love 20 second songs also. Um, my new one has a song that's over eight minutes, I think. And it also has one that's a little over a minute. So, um, I don't know for eternal home, the double LP, like I really wanted to just like pack it full of like so many ideas. So I guess there's a lot of short songs on there, but a lot of times it'll be like, I'm almost finished the album and I'll notice, oh shit, I have two and a half minutes I could use. Like, let me get <laughs> to work and make like one or two like little songs that I can fit in there. Um, because I'm just like really enthusiastic about putting material out there and it kind of goes back to the prolific thing like 
I want to put out as much content um, as I can, but I also don't want to overdo it. So there's constantly that push and pull there. Um, it's always, it always feels stifling to come out with a single LP because mm-hmm. it's like, man, I only got like, you know, 44, 45 ish, like minutes max to like put out this full idea. And I would really much rather it be twice as long as that. Um, but that can't always be done. So the next LP is a single LP, but I actually have 70% completed another two LPs worth of music, like sitting on my computer. So the one after the next one will probably be another double, which is overwhelming for some people. But, you know, like I said, I got a compromise between the prolificness and the like feeling good. So it's funny uh with a limitivist i like have been trying specifically to be able to do 100 second songs like basically all top down like oh that's know, cho- cool choose the duration ahead of time and then do it and similarly yeah, that's neat. 180 or uh, sorry 1800 second uh <laughs> like uh you know co- combinations of songs uh that's so, su- like, that's super cool that's a good idea i mean that's something that would be fun for me at some point to, to try i think I feel like everybody, when they hear that, they're like, what are you talking about? Why would you do that? But um, I don't know. That sounds fun. Yeah. um, I took a composition class and the guy was like, you you need to be able to, uh, you know, have a sense of what your duration is and like execute that instead of just like hoping that it works out. And so Mm -hmm. that's that stuck with me. But I think that that's very worthy and useful and um, a good path to take if you want to. I haven't done it yet. It would feel limiting, but limitations breed creativity for sure. Totally. I mean, the, the limits of the length of a record breeds creativity for me because like I said, I'll, I, I got to create like a short song now. So then I, I will have to make a complete idea within a certain amount of time. So it's it's fun to do that. But yeah, I don't think much about it when I when I compose a song. I just start somewhere and it just goes until it feels complete and sometimes it'll feel complete and then I'll be like hmm I should add a like a huge outro on this that goes in a completely different direction and then I'll do it and that's just how it is so uh, in terms of like the industry sort of defined standard that you would adhere to is it kind of like the 22 minute times two type thing or if um... there's going to be a record then yeah that's kind of like what I have to do um if I know it's not going to be on a record then there's there's more freedom um you know cds hold up to 80 minutes cassettes you can you know there's a huge right you can do anything from a one minute tape to like a 120 minute tape if you can find them um but i i do have lps more in mind these days because um my my music gets put on on vinyl like more often than it ever has these days But I also like as a mastering engineer, I'm constantly mastering things for vinyl that originally existed only digitally or something. So there's a lot of like reorganizing um, of, of, you know, like track order, changing track order. Sometimes if there's like a super long song, you you have no choice but to divide it. Like one of my projects called Mindspring Memories, I did an album where the first two songs were like 40, 45 minutes long. Um, so for the LPs, we had to divide each of those and it was a three LP set where the first two songs had a a single record each. And then the third record was the rest of the songs. And 
you know, I, I master for labels that are releasing these like three, four, five LP sets. Um, you know, so it's like, you know, you can, you can rearrange things later if you're going to a new format, but I do try to keep record formats in mind when I make full lengths, um, just to make it easier on, on myself. Cool. Yeah. Right. Well, um, I guess I'll, I'll let you get back to your work. Um, is there anything else you want to end with uh, or anything that you want to plug or anything like that? Um, well, I just started a Discord server a couple of days ago, which is, I didn't think it would be this exciting for me, but it, it kind of is. And I did very minimal promotion for it. And there's like, we're going on like 300 people now. So it sounds oh, like yeah. chaos, but it's really, really cool to bring all those people together. I mean, like I do so many different kinds of music usually. So I feel like people from like different worlds are being brought together and it's fun. So um, there's a link on firetools.com for that um, uh, hyphen between fire and tools. Um, uh, you can also go to discord.firetools.com and um, you can join the server. Um, I'll have a new album probably out in October. I just put out a very small EP on a small label called Big Money Cybergrind. There's a tape and a CD. It's only like 11 minutes long. Um, yeah, I can't really think of anything else. Um, I, I, I do mixing and mastering under the business name Angel Hair Audio. So hit me up if you need any work in that vein. Um, but no worries if not, because I have so much work going on right now. I can't handle it. Um, so yeah, I guess cool. that's, that's all. Thanks for having me. It was fun. I need to make an, another cup of coffee. This is, this is empty. <laughs> that's unacceptable. Awesome. Well, uh, Angel, thanks so much for talking to me. Um, I'll talk to you in the future. Yeah. Sounds good. Let me know when this goes up and I'll share it with people. Great. Right. Mm -hmm. Talk to you all later. Right. Bye.